On January 1st, 19 or 1863, Abraham Lincoln read these words, words, which we remember as the Emancipation Proclamation. And he says this, that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves with any state shall be forever free. Such great words. January 1st, 1863, 200 and nearly 250 years after the first slave got off a ship in America, they are set free. Many African-American churches still celebrate uh, December 31st with a service called Watch Night, the Watch Night service. And they stay up all night. They sing, they pray, they fellowship together as they remember and watch for January 1st to come in. And they remember that they were set free in 1863, which is why uh, many African-Americans celebrate January 1st as their day of freedom rather than July the 4th. Because on July the 4th, 1776, not everyone was free to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the Emancipation Proclamation was certainly great news. But if you heard that news as a slave and you went back to your slave owner, now your former slave owner, you would want something behind you, would you not? You would want to know what's the ground of this freedom. What, what is going to ensure my freedom? I, I've been enslaved, but how do I know I've really been set free? And Abraham Lincoln supplies the answer in the Emancipation Proclamation. He says, Now therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, by virtue of the power in me as Commander-in-Chief of the Army and the Navy, do order and declare all persons held as slaves within said designated states to be free. The executive government, including the military and naval authorities, will all recognize and maintain the freedom of these people. Okay, okay. I've got the president, I've got the executive government, I've got the army, I've got the navy, I've got all this weight, all this foundation for my freedom behind me. I don't just have a, just a proclamation as helpful as that is. There's something that's undergirding that. There's something that's guaranteeing that. There's something that's ensuring that I'm going to, to have this freedom. There's some power behind the words. And of course, this was a long awaited and pivotal moment in American history. You might say Romans 8, 1 through 4 is a kind of emancipation proclamation. Because these verses, the commander and chief of the universe sets people free. This, This proclamation, there is now therefore no condemnation. That's the proclamation. And that's worth celebrating. That's worth memorizing. But but once you say it, you say to yourself... What's behind that? What's, what's ensuring that? What's guaranteeing that no condemnation? How, what kind of foundation of no condemnation is there 
for me. And that's what we're going to be looking at in these first few verses. This no condemnation proclamation was a a long-awaited pivotal moment in human history. And which is why Romans 8 is, is often called the greatest chapter in the Bible. So if we remember last week, if I said, if you're going to look at this, this is a lot more challenging than looking at 1 Samuel as the listener. Because 1 Samuel is a story. Immediately when you tell the story, you get into the story. You put yourself in the story. You think about where you would be in the story. But this is not a story. This is doctrine. So you have to, as the listener, you have to be fully engaged. You have to lean forward because we're having a a head-on collision with the most important information in human history. And so when I talked last week, I said in order to fully embrace no condemnation... You first have to go backwards and understand the condition that we were in. So let's just do that very briefly. Turn back with me to chapter 3 and verse 19. Second part of the verse says this, Every mouth must be stopped, and the whole world must be held accountable to God. Why? Verse 23, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we can't re-preach that sermon. But that's the place that you have to start. You have to start to say, no more excuses for me. No, no more words for me. No, no more excuses. Uh, my mouth has to be stopped. Why? Because everyone here, whether you're irreligious, whether you're religious, or you, whether you think you're squeaky clean moral person, Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is in trouble. Everyone is in the way of God's wrath. And you have to know that. You have to understand that first. Remember even Jesus talked about this. Remember what he said? Very beginning of ministry. I have come to call who? I've come to call sick people. The only people who are going to respond to my message are people who say, I'm sick. I need help. I haven't come to call any healthy people. All the healthy people out there, you're not going to want to hear what I have to say. But what do we learn? (laughs) There are no healthy people out there. There are only sick people. And once you realize you have a sickness, then you lean into what Jesus says because he's telling you he's the answer to that sickness. So the first place we have to start is to say we we are guilty. We're in a difficult place. We're in a place that we can't rescue ourselves. But again, then we talked about the the sweetest news that follows in chapter uh, 3, verse 24. We are justified by grace. We are put right with God by grace through the redemption that has come in Jesus Christ. God has acted on our behalf. He has sent himself to absorb God's wrath that we might be free. So that's the gospel. Now, before I move on to talk about the foundation of this no condemnation, I want to ask you this question. Why is no condemnation sweet news to you. So we have the emancipation proclamation. There is therefore now no condemnation. And you want to say, 
I'm free. But you, you've been set free. And why, if I just ask you, why is it sweet news to you? Here's some, some ways you might answer. Well, I don't have to experience the wrath of God. That'd be a good answer. Well, I, I get eternal life. I, I think I'm going to get some kind of new body. I'm going to have no more tears. I'm, I'm going to have good health. I'm going to get reconnected to my family and friends for eternity. It's a good answer. I, I get to go to heaven instead of hell. That's why it's sweet news. And all those, all those things are true. They're all secondary reasons. Now, this is where you have to listen closely. The best answer to why is no condemnation sweet news is because we get God. That, that's why it's good news. Of course, we all are called sons and daughters of God, and therefore we have an inheritance. We're going to talk about this in Romans already. But, but the good news of the gospel is that we get God, not just as inheritance, but God is the good news, not the stuff that we get from God. And that's a critical understanding Look at Romans 8, verse 15 with me. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry. You get the spirit of God that adopts you as a son or daughter so you can cry out for what? What do you cry out for? Stuff? See, I think that's what a lot of people would do. I get the Spirit of God and therefore I get stuff. Praise the Lord. I, I get away from the wrath of God. I get inheritance. I get to go to heaven. I get to be with my family. I get a new body. That's why I'm using God to get the stuff I want. Do you see how it's very easy to be religious and miss the gospel? It's very possible. It's very possible that really your heart or mine is idolatrous. And we're still at the center and we've come to church to use God to get stuff. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? Most of you probably know this parable. There's two sons, the older and the younger. The young son, he gets his stuff right away. Remember that? And he takes his stuff and he, he, he spends all of his money. And you think the parable is about this lost son who comes back. And, and, and the father runs towards the son. They kill the fatted calf. And the, the son, the one who's lost has come home. Let's have a celebration. And what do you find out at the very end? The oldest son who's been around the, the father the whole time, he, he's huffy and puffy. He's outside the party. And his father comes out. says, why aren't you joining us in the party? The, the person who's been lost, he's been rescued and he's come back to me. 
And do you remember what the oldest son says? You never gave me any of your stuff. And a very, I think, heartbreaking comment by the father, who I think is God the father. Remember what he says? But the whole time you've had me. And what you learn as that the older son had been standing next to the father the whole time, and he's the lost son. Because he's only standing there for stuff. And that's why I say this is good news to people who really understand they're completely sick. They're sick enough to come to church and use Jesus to get stuff. When you know your heart is that deceptive, you are praying for God to do something that you cannot do on your own. Now, that's a little tangent, but I think it's an important tangent. What's the foundation for no condemnation? That's our question here. We have the Emancipation Proclamation, but what's the army, what's the navy, what's the president behind this statement? And it's as as if Paul is proclaiming no condemnation on a mountaintop, and then he walks down and says, here's the foundation for what I've just said. Verse 2, and you want to circle this little word, for, for. These little connecting words in Romans 8 are so helpful. So you see, he's shifting. He's saying, okay, I've just told you this statement up on the mountaintop. For, I'm going to tell you what's underneath it. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And I think the word law here is used to mean power or authority. In other words, when you were apart from Christ, some power, some authority was ruling over your life. And it was leading to death. But now that you have a new power, a, a, a new source of power, the Holy Spirit, he, the Spirit of life, he's come in to set you free in Christ. And probably we're very familiar with these verses that just precede ver- chapter 8 when Paul says this. So I find, I find it to be that this law is at work in me when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. You, know, you understand that feeling? Yeah, I, I, there's these forces. I, I really want to do good, but there's this other power that seems to be overwhelming my desire to do good, and, and I can't seem to get away from it. And so he sort of cries out in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Who can deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is the Spirit comes in, and he's a greater power than the powers of this world. So how does the spirit of life set us free? Let me just give you two ways to think about this. He sets us free from the penalty of sin. Sets us free from the penalty of sin. We were prisoners and Jesus Christ came in to pay our penalty. Jesus paid it all, we sang this morning. He has come and he's paid everything that we should have done. First Peter writes this, Christ died for sins once for all to bring you to God. Notice that? 
Jesus Christ died for sins once for all to what? To bring you to God. Not to give you stuff, but to bring you to God. So when Jesus hangs on the cross in one of his last statements is, it is finished. That's an accounting term, meaning it's paid in full. There's no more payment to be made. Jesus has paid it all. And that big theological word for that is justification. He's justified me. When I come before God as the ultimate judge, I'm already justified because of what Jesus has done. The second thing that the the spirit of life does, it frees us from from the power of sin. It gives us a a way to fight against sin and the culture and the world. Look at 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh... For the ways of the world, you, you die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. So now, now you have some tools. You have the Spirit, and you're going to be fighting off these things. You're going to have a, a greater power within you to f- overcome the, the, the worlds and the temptation. I love this quote. I just heard it this past week. From Mar- it's, it's attributed to Martin Luther. Listen to what he says. I tried to drown the old Adam in the waters of baptism. Get that picture? Old Adam being drowned, and you're a new creation in Christ when you come up. You've seen that? Here's what Luther says. I tried to drown the old Adam in the waters of baptism, but it turns out that miserable wretch can swim. (laughs) Isn't that great? Don't you find that true of yourself? I'm hoping for a prayer. I'm hoping for some water. I'm hoping for something that like kills this old man. But it turns out that that old Adam, he can swim. And he's still fighting against me. But thanks be to God, I've got the Holy Spirit in me that now, which we'll talk about next week, gives me some tools to fight against that old Adam. Before, I always got overwhelmed by that old Adam. But now I can, I can fight against that. And that process, the big theological word for that is called sanctification. Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, was a great hymn writer. He wrote a song called, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And Charles was like, if I had a thousand tongues, that still wouldn't be enough tongues to sing God's praise. And he has this line in it, for he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. You hear that? He breaks the power of canceled sin. There's a power in sin that's causing me to move towards it like gravity. But he breaks that power. He set me free. These are sanctification and justification in this one line. Look at verse 3. Again, the word for, for, for. And this is really critical. How do I know I'm really set free? For Circle these words, God has done. Now, aren't you so glad it's not for you do? That's not good news. 
For God has done something. God has come in. The reason I know no condemnation is true for me is because God's done something. It's not because I've done something. I'm not looking towards myself. This is the solid rock of our faith. This is why I can climb to the high top of my sin and I can shout over my sin, you cannot condemn me. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what God has done. I can be sure of that because God has done it. He sent his own son, it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And then he condemned in Jesus' flesh the condemnation that should have come to me. Back in chapter 1, we talked about this last week. There was a great exchange that took place in our hearts. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We worship creation rather than the creator. And here on the cross, another great exchange takes place. He gives all of his perfect life to Paul Phillips. And he takes all of Paul Phillips' sin and he wears it. What an exchange. Let me give you one verse and one picture. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. That's the gospel. That's the exchange that takes place. That's what I'm standing on. That's my foundation. Now, there's a picture in Leviticus for the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, they would talk about on the Day of Atonement when the the Israelites were uh, remembering their sins and praying for God's atonement, God's washing away of their sin. You remember the, the picture they had before them? They brought two goats. One goat died, and the blood of this goat was brought into the Holy of Holies. It's a picture of saying, in order for your sins to be atoned, for my sins to be atoned, somebody has to die. And that's either going to be you or somebody else. But there's a second goat. And symbolically, they place all the sins of the people on that goat. And then somebody drives it out into the desert and drops it off. And what is it called? The scapegoat. So somebody has to pay for it and somebody has to take it away. As far as the east is from the west. And who is that somebody? Jesus. Such a great picture. You see it in Leviticus. You see it come back out here in Romans 8. So let's do a little review. There is now no condemnation. That's the Emancipation Proclamation. That's good, that's good news. But when I, when I go back to my room, when I go back into my life, I'm going to be asking, what, what foundation am I standing on? I mean, I, hear, I see the banner, but what's underneath me for that? And that is that, the, that God has done something. The Holy Spirit now lives in me to set me free. He's made a perfect exchange for me. 
And the reason I think understand, one reason I think this is so important to understand and to have firmly grasped in your mind is Satan in Revelation 12 is called the accuser. I bet you've heard his voice. You call yourself a Christian? Good grief. Look what you've just thought about. Look what you've just said. Look what you've done. Look how self-centered you are. You're not a Christian. You're a loser. You're stuck. You're enslaved. You're never going to get out. You're never going to go home. These, I bet you've heard this. When the slaves went back home, they were free. Slave owners knew they lost the war. The slave owners knew about the Emancipation Proclamation, but the slave owners had no design to actually set free the slaves. Same with Satan. He doesn't have any design for you to be set free. He doesn't have any desire for you to feel like a son or a daughter. He's trying to train wreck your life with accusation after accusation after accusation. You're not set free. You're not a son. You're not a daughter. And when that happens, and it will happen, it may be happening right now. How do you fight against that? One way you fight against it is knowing Romans 8. Is going back to the foundation and saying, no, no, that's not true about me. It's true that I did do all that stuff, but I'm not saying no condemnation because I am now doing all this stuff. I'm saying no condemnation, Satan, because Jesus paid it all, not because I did. And you're going to want to know these wonderful verses, and we're going to get to them. I wish I could get to them today. I'm so excited about them. These, but these questions at the end of chapter 8, look with me in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, nobody. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Answer, Nobody. Who is going to condemn us? Answer, nobody. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, nobody. When when you get attacked, you need to know these words. Hey, Satan, who's going to separate me from God? Not you, buddy. You're trying to condemn me? There is now no condemnation. Because of the grace that lives in me, not because of the things I've done. Let's close with verse 4, which we're going to use its transition into next week. <clears throat> in order that, see this transition word? There's, there's now no condemnation. That's the banner. That's the proclamation. For... Verse 2, verse 3, this is the foundation. 
so that or in order that, so there's an outcome of all this, in order that the, the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us because we are walking according to the flesh, not according, we're, not, we're walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, let me ask you an important question. Just don't, don't check out here, even though we're at the end. Listen carefully. Here's my question. Is the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us due to your walking according to the Spirit? Let me say that again. Think about what your answer would be. Is the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us due to us walking, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? Think about how you might answer that. Or is the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us and it's displayed by our walking, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? Now, which one of those is good news? Yet the second one. Some of you are going, oh, I'm glad he didn't ask me to raise my hand because I was going to vote for the first one. No, no, no. So that's why I want you to lean in. The righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us, praise God, is not due to me walking according to the law. Do you hear that? It's the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in me, and you can see it's fulfilled in me because I'm walking according to the flesh. It's, it's a result of walking according to the Spirit. This is the mark of salvation. It's not the means of salvation. So if we walked around with you this week and observed your behavior, what would we say about your salvation? It's not a means, but it is a mark. And would we say, hey, you know, we're not looking for perfection, but... They're, they're still trying to drown the old Adam. They're still fighting. Or, or did you just pray one time, got baptized, and that's it? That was the case for you. You might want to revisit salvation. How do you walk according to the Spirit? Now you have to come back next week. Are you in Christ Jesus? That's just, it's got to be the first question we answer. Are you in Christ Jesus? How do you get into Christ Jesus? You just say, I am so desperately sick and wicked, I couldn't possibly save myself. That's the first, that's the first step every person has to take. Jesus, I trust you can save me. That's how you come into the kingdom of God. But are you, many of you, are you still living as a slave? Are you really living free? Or do you just live under these shouts of condemnation? And you really are a Christian, but you don't really know how to live with freedom because of all the fear and the guilt and the condemnation.
Romans 8 wants to set your heart free. And I wish I could do the whole sermon and, you know, you could just stay all day. I could do it all. But you just need to think about these things as we walk down this path to be thinking, am I really in Christ? Do I really see myself as a sick person? Have I heard the emancipation proclamation? Do I trust in this foundation? And then am I willing to walk now in a new way? Not to earn, but to display a great salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, these are uh, such important words. And um, it can be hard to, to get our minds wrapped around these things because we have competing voices and fears in our heads. And so I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to do again in my life as well as these people's lives to enter in to shine a light on dark places to to even help us understand how we might have been using you the whole time just to get the stuff that we want would you help us would you divide the bone and the marrow And get down to the deep places so that we could really live in freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.